Hey, let me say hi and welcome to everybody who's part of this service right now. Whether you're watching from one of our campuses or you're joining us online, I am so glad that you're here. My name's Jason. I'm one of the pastors at Forest Hill Church. And hey, don't mess with the settings right now. You're not seeing double. We are not twins. Jonathan is joining us for the message today. I bet they didn't expect to see this when they tuned in this morning, but I'm very glad to be a part of this. And before we dive into our message for this morning, let me ask you a question. If you had the choice between choosing between two of the ancient superpowers, flight or invisibility, which would you choose and what would you do with it? That was a question that was asked for a bunch of people in this kind of informal research survey that showed up on the radio um, program and podcast, This American Life, entitled Hawkman versus the Invisible Man. And people were asked that question and the results were kind of surprising. People answered pretty quickly as if they'd been thinking about it for a while and as they also knew what they wanted to do. For instance, the people who said that they would choose invisibility, they were, were wanting to sneak onto airplanes to get rides for free or uh, to sneak into movie theaters. One woman actually said that she would sneak into a clothing store and steal cashmere sweaters. The people that said that they wanted flight, they would fly to Paris. They'd no longer ride the bus. One person said they'd fly to a bar to check what's going on in there and then fly home and strap their kid to their back. Hopefully they hadn't taken anything to drink. Here's the thing, however. For all those people that had those powers, nobody chose to use their powers to fight crime. Okay, be honest. Did that flash through your mind when you thought of which one of those powers you'd want? Did you think of using the power to fight crime? I think it's interesting that in a, in a world that's got so much wrong in it, when we have the power, many, maybe many of us would actually choose to use those powers for our own good rather than being able to express the good that's necessary in our world. You got me thinking about with superheroes and stuff about powers. This quote that many of us know that with great power comes great responsibility. Where did that, that come from? Uh, into the multiverse? Spider-Man. Close enough. <laughs> hey, here's the deal, though. We've been looking in this series the last few weeks at the idea that as citizens of the kingdom of God, we have power. And then what do we do with that power that we have? So, you know, we've talked about this idea that we've got the power of the Holy Spirit living in us. Like, seriously, the power that made Jesus come alive from the dead is in you and me if you're a follower of Jesus. Uh, we talk about the power of the gospel to rescue people, to rescue their souls for eternity, to bring them from death into life. And we've got the power of prayer. That just like Jesus did, we can pray, God, your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Folks, we have an incredible amount of power to do this mission that God has given us. And here's the way we describe that mission at Forest Hill Church. We think that we're all about building bridges that connect everyone to dynamic life in Christ, where the power is found. That's the mission that we're all about. And so today, as we continue this series, we're looking at this aspect, that we live like wrongs can be made right. We live lives of justice. In fact, we would say that as citizens of his kingdom, we take action to set the wrongs of the world right and to care for the vulnerable and the broken. We're continuing to understand that even within our world, this message for that kind of justice is desperately needed. You can't look around and not see the, the reality of the brokenness in our world and the need to a, approach those wrongs and those ills with something that's a whole lot more powerful. As a matter of fact, let's face it, when you and I, when we, uh, those wrongs are done to us, whether it's a theft or our rights are denied, we demand and we want justice. Sometimes we're not so quick to de demand that for those that are beyond us as well. And right now we take a look in our world that is riddled and filled with so much of those injustices. Forefront on everybody's mind right now is a continued embroiled nature of what's happening in our racial and the ethnic conflicts and tensions that are there. But that's certainly not the only one. 
We're also dealing with the inequities and the injustices that, are de that we experience with economic exploitation of certain people, domestic abuse, abortion, the sanctity of life inside as well as outside the womb, the fact of human traffickings, and that's just a few of them. The, the, the cry and the need for justice to approach and apply itself to undoing some of those wrongs because right now things are not operating the way that God intended. Let's face it. This world is not operating according to the designs or the intents of God. His will is not being done on earth as it is in heaven. And every single day we are experiencing the repercussions of that. The devastation, the destruction as people are dealing with psychological, emotional, interpersonal, financial difficulties, devastations, destructions, death, violence, because injustices are continuing to go unanswered. And there's that desire and that cry for things to change with the powers that are available for us to experience God's brand of justice in a world that's desperately in need of it. Yeah, we hear this current cry, but there's a problem with it. The, the, the cry for justice is loud, but it's also confusing. Uh, it's because it's conflicting, it's divisive. Sometimes uh, it's actually making us work against each other rather than work together. And, and here's part of the reason why. It's because justice without God, as Tony Evans says, is, is actually not even a thing. You can't have justice without God being in the picture. And so what's happening is we're trying to figure out how to do justice based on my way or on your way when actually what we should be about is finding the king's way. See, there's a lot of talk about social justice right now. And here's the thing, social justice itself isn't necessarily wrong, it's just not enough. The issue is that it doesn't address the deeper motivations, the actual problem at the root, at the source of all of the issues that are taking place. And so we sometimes are willing to simply prescribe medicine for the symptom rather than deal with the disease. It's like taking Tylenol for cancer. This might make your headache go away. It might help your arthritis be a little bit more bearable, but it's not stopping what's killing us. And so here's the issue. We're gonna be looking today at this idea of Biblical justice. Uh, luckily, God is so good in his graciousness that he doesn't allow just me or you to define what just is. Because here's the truth. If it's just about what I think, man, I get confused sometimes. There's so many voices, so many perspectives, so many angles. Sometimes I can be talked into something. If it's just about what I feel, I can be deceived. If it's just about what I'm willing to do, man, I know that I get tired. And in fact, the current aspect of justice, the current climate is actually becoming demotivating to those who should be engaging this at the highest level, those of us who are followers of Christ. So let me give you what a definition of biblical justice is as we carry on through today. We're gonna look at what it is, how it expresses God's character, and then some formula for how you and I can engage as followers of Jesus. And I think this is really important, whether you are already a citizen or whether you're maybe here trying to decide if, if this is the kind of life you wanna lead in following Jesus, I think you'll find out today that it's all based on this idea of the image of God in us. Here's the deal, definition of biblical justice. It's the equitable and impartial application of the rule of God's moral law in society. Let me say that again. It's the equitable and impartial application 
of the rule of God's moral law in society. What it means is that God's way is done equally and fairly across everything that would divide people and separate them. And luckily, that's the thing. God's like so good in his grace that he says, let this be the foundation for your justice, my image in you as a human. It's how he started from the very beginning. He made us, we're told, in the image of God. We are to reflect and we are to act in his stead as rulers over this earth, over this creation, doing things the way he would do them and addressing things that are not working correctly in the way that he would address them. This is it. It's the imago Dei that's being acknowledged and honored in people. So let's take a look at some scriptures that help us to understand God's heart for justice. His expectations that justice is how we treat one another, but it's supposed to also express his heart, his purpose in and through our life that actually increases the quality of life for those around us. So if you're able, would you stand with us as we read from scripture about what God says about himself regarding justice? We're going to start with Zechariah chapter 7 verse 9. And Zechariah says this, Thus says the Lord of hosts, render true judgments, show kindness and mercy to one another. And then the prophet Isaiah, chapter 1, verse 16 through 17, wash yourselves, cleanse yourselves, remove your evil deeds from my sight, stop doing evil, learn to do what's good, pursue justice, correct the oppressor, defend the rights of the fatherless and plead the widow's cause. Check this out in Proverbs 31, verse eight and nine. It says, speak up for those who have no voice, for the justice of all who are dispossessed. Speak up, judge righteously, and defend the cause of the oppressed and the needy. And then Jesus Christ himself describes and declares the kind of ministry that he was bringing in Luke chapter four, beginning with verse 18. Here's what Jesus says. The spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to preach good news To the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set free the oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Then it says that he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, sat down. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fixed on him. He began then by saying, Today, as you listen, this scripture has been fulfilled. It's the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Folks, in those words, what we hear is an expression of the character of God. It's, it's the, what we're going to call the justice and the righteousness, two aspects of who and how God is that flow out of his immense love for all of his creation. It's a part of what it means to be holy. And all those are like church words, I, I understand that, but, but they have a meaning that you can easily grasp. And so let's start with these ideas of justice and righteousness as they express who God is. First, these are the expression of God's heart itself. And there's this word in Hebrew, it's sadakah, which actually means righteousness. It's, it's this idea of living in such a way that you are right with God, that then it spills over and you live right with other people, with all of our relationships. People who we're related to, people that we're neighbors with, people we work for or that we employ, people that we serve under or people that we have authority over. In each way, we are supposed to live rightly. And, and here's what's interesting about this sadaqah word, this righteousness. If it was actually followed, like if all humans respected the image of God in someone else and therefore treated them in that right way, 
there would be no need for this next idea of justice that we're going to talk about because everything would be operating as it should. This whole idea of righteousness is for you and me to look square in the face of someone else. And no matter what might separate us, no matter what might make them seem less than to you and me from a human perspective, we see the face of Jesus actually in them. That's the power of the righteousness of God in you and me. So wonderful for us to be able to have this biblical foundation from God's perspective of what is needed. That word for justice, the Hebrew word is mishpat. And there are two aspects of mishpat. One of them is a kind of a retributive justice. In other words, that's where we experience justice or justice is expressed in consequences for wrong that's being done. If somebody steals, they've got to pay the consequences. That's the retributive justice that keeps kind of society on a moral plane. But it goes even further than that because there's another aspect of the justice that's restorative. It's not simply just punishing, but it's actually intentionally seeking out those places where there's brokenness and coming alongside to bring God's healing grace and healing mercies. In other words, it's how we advocate for those who are vulnerable and we address their needs as well as the systems and the structures to prevent injustices from being able to continue. The aspect of that is is that God's justice, his mishpat is being expressed through his people in a way that upgrades the quality of society. It's an expression of God's heart. As a matter of fact, I love what John Perkins says. He says, whenever in the scriptures God says that he has compassion, his expression that he has compassion for something is always followed by action. That God is not simply just feeling something. If he's seeing it and feeling it, be ready. He's on the move to make a difference in those situations. And that is his expectation for us as we express the nature of God with what is around us and what we see. That the expectations were coming bringing that kind of kingdom impact, that kind of kingdom power. Listen, one of the interesting things about applying for a job, one of the most important aspects is the clarity of what will I be doing? The job description, right? As a matter of fact, if that job description is expressed in the hiring process and then changes later on, that can almost be a kind of form of injustice. We see the same thing in marriages. The covenant relationship where those vows express the intentions of what's to take place in that covenant relationship. When we take a look back at the scriptures we read in, in, the, New, in the Old Testament that we just read, things like show kindness and mercy to one another. Learn to do what is good. Pursue justice. Defend the rights of the orphans and widows. Defend the cause of the oppressed and needy. Speak up for those who don't have a voice. Do you get the impression that those are suggestions, proposals for us to think about? Do you think it's kind of like what happens when we see on our TV screens those disturbing images of either abused animals or children that are starving and we can just basically flip the switch and hit the remote and go to a different station? Folks, those particular imperatives, and they are, they're not incidentals. They are imperatives of those who are part of the kingdom of God, his expectation that we join him in the work in making a difference and moving into those systems and those situations that require justice and righteousness. Folks, there's a sense of priority to that. There's a sense of urgency. There is a critical necessity for the superpowers of grace and compassion to be deployed and expressed through us in ways that complete God's purpose. Look, the call of God, justice is needed everywhere in the world, but he doesn't call everybody to do that. In the scripture, he calls his people. 
he calls his covenant community, invites them into the process whereby through their lives, his work is being done. It's what he's always wanted. Kind of like, you know, fathers and parents with children. When you have a child, it's kind of like having your heart walk outside your body is what I've heard and what I felt as well too. And when God created Adam and Eve, mankind, his intention was for the world to be filled with living representations of his heart, of his passion, of his character. But unfortunately, because of the fall, because of sin, right now we're dealing with a medical epidemic, a medical pandemic, but we've always been dealing with a moral, spiritual pandemic as through human beings, broken, fallen human beings, the world is filled with injustice. The world is filled with wrong. The world is filled with ill. And so what did God do with, with well, all that? He could have just started from scratch, but didn't. He started with a man called Abraham. The nation of Israel was designed to be the nation through which God would bring the blessing to the world. But now, Abraham's descendants, spiritual descendants, the church of Jesus Christ, through Jesus, King Jesus, that we as his citizens, we are called to move into the world, to fill it, to multiply, and express the heart and the passion of God. It is our job description. It is the call of God to partner with him as his people to bring the power and the wonder and the goodness of his kingdom to our world. It's like it's not enough to just be sad about the injustices that we see. As a citizen of the kingdom, God calls us to take action, to, to do this next point, to extend his grace, to extend the gospel power into those situations. See, here's the thing. When God comes into us and, and he gives us this grace, the extension of that from God to us came through Christ. After the calling of Abraham and the development of his people, and then, then over a period of years, God finally sends Jesus onto the scene, and he lives this perfectly righteous life, a life that was exactly the way God would want it to be. That innocence, though, got met with punishment. God chose to punish himself through Christ by having the, the just, the innocent one, become sin, to be nailed to a cross, to be murdered. And at that point, the penalty of sin would be extinguished because the righteous one now paid it fully. And then God resurrects him from the dead and he says, I want to give you that same life. That is the extension of grace called the gospel to you and me. And then the second extension of it is he says, now take that life I've given you, that dynamic, powerful life of righteousness, and go and extend it to the world. Extend an invitation for people to come and receive it and extend the implications of it to those who need it. Uh, that's the, the final part of this idea that we're supposed to go about bringing that, not just for the salvation of our soul one day, but that we go about living as if the kingdom is coming here and now. And that's what gives us this power to address biblically all the wrongs that we see. So this is about a, a living justice is really what you would say, Jonathan. And I think it's important for us to realize that, that we do, in our of ourselves, we don't have the power to change the systems in our world. But we also can't change what's wrong in our world without that wrong being changed in our own life. And that's what the grace of God does is he transforms us from the root cause of the problem so that we then can be the partners with Christ in bringing his justice, his power, his goodness to the world. In other words, the authentic expression of our faith in Jesus Christ is actually what then displays the equity of his kingdom power and his blessing, his goodness in a way that is biblical, that is both by word and deed 
as we address the systems and the core root of the problem in humanity trying, with a desire to accomplish the glory of God and the goodness of God in our life. This is where living justice comes in. Living justice is a spiritual and eternal imperative because it extends God's grace in a world that is desperately in need of it through people who've experienced the power, the wonder of the gospel. We have been made. Here's the thing. The righteousness of God has been imputed to us so that now we are empowered to join him in his mission to bring his kingdom to earth. So here's the idea, right? Justice is a part of who God is by nature. He expresses that to us. Then he expects that from us as his citizens. And then he tells us how to go extend it. So we want to take a moment and use a passage of scripture, real short, real famous, and walk through what I think is a formula for how we engage this moving forward. It's found in Micah. Micah was a prophet around the same time as Isaiah and a guy named Amos. Uh, Micah is kind of a country preacher. He's out in the, sub, or out in the uh, rural areas, whereas Isaiah is in the city. But Micah has a very similar message. Micah was speaking to the people of God who had lived just lives and developed a society that was absolutely against the righteousness and justice of God. It's really sad. They had been rescued from a place where they were mistreated, and then they became people who did mistreatment as well. And in the middle of that, Micah is writing and saying, look, you got to get your act together. God's bringing judgment on you because of the way you have treated, in particular, the poor and the oppressed. But Micah's not just about this judgment. There's this incredible amount of hope that's tucked away and buried in Micah. In fact, in Micah 5, we actually find the prophecy that says Jesus is going to be born in Bethlehem. Micah continues, even though he's got to call out tough things in the world, he continues to point them to the hope that is to come. And so I want to read to you from Micah 6, 8, this verse, and then we'll unpack it. It says this. It says, He has told you, O man... What is good and what does the Lord require of you but to do justice and to love mercy and to walk humbly with your God. To do justice, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. In this uh, passage, we find what's required of us, and it gives us some kind of practical steps. So what do you think, John? I think we ought to start from the very end of that particular passage and move forward. In other words, it starts with walking humbly with God. It's one of the things I think is a problem right now is that there's a lot of effort, but God is excluded from the picture. He's excluded from the process. Those who have been called and chosen by God, one of the practical things is, first of all, we're called to walk with God. Can I say that that means that we're in the position of realizing that we're part of the problem and that we are needing God to deal with those injustices in our own life and to place ourselves humbly to surrender to his leadership, to surrender to his grace so that he does that work in us and then to live our life always yielded and surrendered to God. That's a humble posture. In other words, learning. It's one of the things that says learn to do good. Well, that means I need to be a student. And by the way, right now we've got about 50 people from a couple of different churches that are walking through this process of one blood discussions, this interracial ethnic discussions, and they're learning from one another. Quite frankly, that is a posture of humility that also shows up in one of the the greatest gifts that God has given to us, it's prayer. Prayer. Treating God as if he's in the room and through our prayer as we're speaking to God and listening to God and we're making ourselves open for his leadership in our life for God to show us because quite frankly our eyes can be closed to a lot that's going on in the world but prayer 
this humble posture of God show us, God lead us, God do in me what is necessary, that God can open our eyes and show us the things that are around. And in showing us what he sees, that's an invitation also to what he is doing. Experiencing God phenomenon several years ago, Henry, Henry Blackaby said that God's revelation is his divine invitation to us. And that when he shows us what he is doing, it's an invitation for us to join him in his work. But folks, that doesn't happen if we are not humble, ready for God to lead and to show us and to live our lives in a way that reflects who is our king. Walking humbly with God is the first step. And then in light of that, you begin to do the second thing that Micah prescribes, and that's to learn to love mercy. And, and here's what that means. You know, I'm a guy who, I, I actually love mercy for me, but maybe like many of you, I have a tough time loving mercy for somebody else because by its very definition, mercy means somebody doesn't get what they deserve. And so whenever I've done something wrong, I am a really big fan of somebody letting me off the hook. What I'm not such a big fan of is when somebody has hurt me, when somebody has hurt my kids or my family or my career or my wallet, it's harder for me to love mercy. But here's what happens. As you spend time walking humbly with God, you begin to see, and this is really important, you begin to remember how much mercy God has shown you. In fact, you begin to realize how much mercy is required from other people. Like it's, it's enough that the king of the universe needs to show me mercy, but there are people all around me that every day I need mercy from just to be able to carry on. And so then maybe you reflect and you, you learn to love it by remembering those times someone has shown it to you. Think about it right now. Like, is there a place where recently you've been given mercy for something? Maybe it was something to do with school or your schoolwork if you're a student. Maybe it was something at your job. Maybe it was something between you and a roommate. Think about the areas where you've needed mercy and begin to fall in love with not only receiving it, but extending it. When we do that, we start to, as Jonathan just mentioned, we start to see those invitations of God where he shows a spot where somebody needs mercy from us. We begin to love not only the idea of it, but we begin to love handing it out. See, this is the way that we follow Jesus' way in Jesus' power as representatives of the king. Jesus himself said this, and now this is tough. He said, be merciful as your Father in heaven is merciful. How was that? Fully, completely, in advance of my asking, it was mercy in a big way. So walking humbly with God, it starts there. Loving mercy, but then it has to move to the next thing, and that is do justice. It's not, let's pray about justice. No, that was already done beforehand. It's not think about justice. No, we've kind of been considering that. It's then time to act. Martin Luther King said there's always time to do the right thing. But even more so, the model of Jesus' life, he didn't just preach the good news. He also showed how the good news can transform. The miracles that he did gave glimpses. And so, folks, for us, if we're partners with God in it, it's not just that God's going to show us just so that we can just look at it. He is inviting us to be a part of the work. It's acting. Some of that acting in it. Some, some of that may be using our voice, opening our mouth, speaking up and speaking out for what's taking place, for the injustices that are going on. There's a, there's a place for protests, but never in a way that violates the character and the nature of God, which is unfortunately a lot of what's happening right now. All kinds of protests are taking place. It's one thing to be angry enough to be able to move towards something, but we can't seek to re, uh, correct the injustices in anger. 
We need to continue to do that in righteousness. But not just speaking, but sometimes opening up our hands, opening up our feet, if you can even think about what that means. It's actually moving towards, it's coming alongside. It's making sure that our resources, all the powers, the advantages, the blessings that God has given us, we redeploy them in ways that bring his blessing to other people. Forest Hill Church right now, one of the major motifs for our service is vulnerable families. And so there are ways of being able to be involved. You heard some of that in last week's message. Many ways that we can be involved in making a difference in the lives of families that are right around us. Like-minded organizations like Fort Charlotte, they're also wanting to be able to address the systems in our society through a biblical, redemptive, restorative justice mindset that actually can help to defend those who are being oppressed, but also they can keep those injustices from happening. And so there's our call, folks. There's an opportunity for us and a call for us to act. Jesus Christ, as a matter of fact, before his death, he gives this story in Matthew chapter 25, where he says in verse 4, he says, when the Son of Man comes in his glory, all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne. All the nations will be gathered before him and he will separate them from one another. Just as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats, he will put the sheep on his right, the goats on his left, and the king will say to those on his right, come, you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. Why? Because when I was hungry, you fed me. When I was thirsty, you gave me something to drink. When I had no clothes, you clothed me. When I was in prison, you visited me. When I was sick, you comforted me. When I was a stranger, you took me in. And those sheep will say, well, when did, when did all that happen? When, when did we see you in that position? And Jesus says, when you've done this to the least of these, my brethren, you've done it to me. Folks, Jesus brought the spiritual power, the spiritual truth. But spiritual truth, apart from actually addressing temporal needs as well as eternal, that's not how faith works, and that's not how the kingdom of God works. The kingdom of God calls us to act in a way that brings the kingdom closer. On the other side, the goats, same thing. He basically rejects them from their inheritance in the kingdom, and they're freaking out. They're like, what happened? When did we see you in this situation, and we not do those things? And Jesus said, when you've not done it, to the least of these, my brothers, you've not done it to me. The distinction between sheep and goats, according to the story, is on the basis of what they did and didn't do. So let me ask you, where do you see yourself plugging in to making a difference with your voice, with your resources, with your time, to move into the situations and to act? God may have already placed on your heart a need in the, in the society, in culture, in your neighborhood, that you are called to do something about. My friends, walking humbly with God, loving mercy, it's time to act and bring to this world his kingdom and his justice. Can I anticipate one of the questions that you're gonna have as we wrap this thing up? And, and that's this. But there are so many issues, which one do I jump into? Yeah. Uh, some of us feel guilty for not making your thing or my thing their thing. And so uh, what we wanna say is this. Here's the beautiful promise of the gospel is that one day every wrong will be made right. One day, we're told in uh, Ephesians 1.10, Jesus at the right time will have everything put under his feet and he will bring it all to right. The world will be completely just. So here's what that means. For some of us, we've experienced injustice. We've experienced oppression. We've experienced pain. I'm not trying to minimize that at all. I'm not trying to say that you shouldn't speak out about that. What I am trying to say is that for each of us, as we are citizens of the kingdom, when we allow God to get his own vengeance, to bring his justice in time, 
In fact, I would say this, when we spend time uh, learning and being humbly before him and learning to love mercy, our need for that, it begins, it begins to fade. Our trust that one day he takes care of it, it begins to overrule and we can get on with the business of extending that justice to others. That's the promise that we have, but we've got work to do right now. I wanna close with this story. There's a doctor named Scott Kurtzman. Uh, he was a chief in surgery at a hospital in Connecticut. And, and one day he was driving on his way into an 8 a.m. lecture at the medical school there. And on the way, he witnessed one of the most horrific traffic accidents ever in Connecticut. He watched as a dump truck driver lost control and flipped over into oncoming traffic. It, it damaged and, and hit 20-something cars. Four people died. And, and it was just a devastating scene. At that moment, this doctor jumps out of his car and he begins to peel through the mangled metal and broken glass of the, the gasoline that was spilling on the ground and the cries. And he began to call out, does anyone need help? And he spent the next hour and a half rescuing people, triaging them and getting them over to a hospital. And that was something that happened one day in his life, which afterwards he jumped in the car and made it to his lecture and gave it two hours late. But, but this doctor, Scott Kurtzman, he did that multiple times in his life. And when asked about it, here's what he said. With my skills and my training, with what I know and who I am, I can't drive by an accident and not stop to help. I will not allow my life to be lived that way. My question for us as we go to prayer now is with everything that we've been given, the mercy we've been shown, the grace we've received, with the power that we have as citizens of God's kingdom, how else can we live but responding with biblical justice to the areas that God shows us? Can I pray for us right now? Would you join me that we pray with eyes to see and with courage to act wherever he reveals to us his next for us. So Father, thank you for the truth of this word preserved throughout all kinds of documents and moments in history for the way that you have constantly demonstrated this truth that you as a loving God are all about righteousness and justice for us and for your world. And thank you that you actually do open our eyes and our hearts to moments where you have ordained us to act in advance. God, would you help us now to do that? Would you help us as followers of Jesus with courage to say yes to the opportunities that you present in front of us? We ask Jesus that you would do this in your name and for your sake. Amen. Amen.